Good morning. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Maddie. Um, I've been coming here for a little while, but summer schedules were a little crazy, so I haven't been here for the past few weeks. But my name is Maddie. I already said that. And today I'm going to be talking about Eve and Mary and connections that I have found between their stories. Um, just, I love this picture. I had this picture hanging in my dorm room. I've written many papers about this pa picture. And yeah, I just love looking at it and finding new things about it. So feel free, don't feel like you have to look at me. Look at this picture. Please don't look at me, look at this picture. <laughs> so. Um, so when I was a junior in college, I took a class entitled Genesis, Creation, and Fall. So in it, we discussed just the first 11 chapters of Genesis, so a whole semester just on the first 11 chapters. So we talked about those stories pretty in depth. And something that we often talked about in that class was the parallel between Adam and Jesus, which is reflected in the passage that I chose as the scripture today. Romans 5, 14, 18, and 19. So in this chapter, Paul is comparing Adam's and Jesus's stories in verse 14, calling Adam a pattern of the one to come, meeting Jesus. So in this theory, Jesus is often referred to as the second Adam, the one who redeems the sin of the first Adam and provides righteousness for all people. The second Adam is correcting and redeeming the mistakes made by the first Adam. I love stories, I love themes, I love a good parallel as a way to illustrate a point. So I, I do like this theory. But if I'm being honest with you, part of this theory irritated me every time we would talk about it in class. So I want you guys to do me a favor. Think about the story of the fall. Think about everything you know about that story. Just run through it in your head. And maybe also just look at this picture. And then I'm going to read the scripture for today again as you think about those things. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So, does anyone wanna take a guess as to why I don't like this theory? It erases Eve. I, I don't see how you can tell the creation story, and more specifically, the story of the fall, without mentioning Eve. She's the one who the serpent approached. She's the one who took the fruit. She's the one who ate it. She's the one who gave it to Adam. She is the main character in those verses. You can't tell that story without her. And yet, <laughs> wrote this passage in Romans managed to do that. Um, and it made me angry, it made me irritated every time we would talk about it. And I know that's a little silly to try to like fight for like, no, we're the ones who messed that up. Eve is the one who messed that up. She should get the credit for it. But you know, that's how I felt. So in that Genesis class, when we were asked to write a 12 page research paper about anything to do with the class, anything we talked about, anything that we read about, just anything that could loosely be related back to Genesis, I decided right away that I was going to take this theory and make it about Eve. So if Eve was the first Eve, as opposed to the first Adam, which was my starting point, then there had to be a second Eve. 
not to replace Jesus, just as a counterpart to Eve. <laughs> and so I wondered if there might be a female counterpart in Jesus' story that could be the second Eve, that could be a parallel, and someone whose obedience would redeem Eve's disobedience, someone who said yes to God while Eve said no, someone who followed God's instructions for her life, someone who played a part in the conception, life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. And sure enough, I found Mary. Mary, the mother of God, who, when told that she would bear the Son of God, said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Who fostered and nurtured God inside of her, gave birth to him, raised him, taught him, watched him die, and in so doing, was a partner in God's plan to bring redemption and salvation to the entire world. The news that she, an unmarried young girl, would be bearing a child had to be daunting, to say the least. But still, Mary said yes. Mary was obedient to God's plan, and Mary did not give in to temptation to take an easy way out or to refuse. She could see that God was with her, doing something good, and so she trusted in that and said yes. So this sermon is a reflection on Eve and Mary and how their choices have shaped the world and our faith in countless ways, and how we are both Eve and Mary, always at once, and how we can find comfort in Eve's disobedience and in Mary's obedience, find comfort in Eve's short-sightedness and frustration at Mary's ability to be patient and watch God's plan unfold. This is a reflection on some parallels in their stories that I have found to be life-changing, evident by the fact that I'm still talking about them four years after that initial paper was written. So I went back and forth on whether I should read all of Eve's story and all of Mary's story, but I wanted this to feel more like a reflection than, and less like a research paper where I'm trying to convince you how they are connected and pick apart the stories. So I'm just going to give a highlight reel and summarize them as I talk, but if you would like to read the stories for yourself and fact check me during the sermon, Eve's story would be found in Genesis 2 and 3, and Mary's story is found in Luke 1. So in Genesis 2, we find the creation account. God creates the world, and then he creates man, Adam, and after seeing his creation and commenting that it is not good for man to be alone, God takes one of Adam's ribs in verse 21 and uses it to create woman, who is later named Eve. Now, like I said in the introduction of this sermon, I love a good parallel. So, when I put Eve's story and Mary's story side by side, I realized that not only are these characters paralleling each other, but the whole stories are paralleling each other as well. So both of these stories can be looked at as creation stories. If Adam and Eve are the first, they are the pattern of those later to come, which would be Jesus and Mary, then maybe this whole story is a pattern of what is later to come. So Genesis 2 is our first creation, and the conception and incarnation of Jesus is the story of our second creation. And in this first creation, woman is taken out of man, created by his body. But in this second creation story, the story of our new creation, man is taken out of woman, created by her body. And I sound like a broken record, but I love this parallel. <laughs> I love this subtle callback to God's first creation, but flipping it on its head. And I say subtle because I grew up hearing the story of the creation millions of times. And I grew up hearing the story of Jesus' birth even more times than that. And I never put together until I was looking at them beside each other, that 
God taking Adam's bones to create Eve and God asking and choosing Mary to foster and grow Jesus inside her body is essentially the same thing. That these are both creation stories in their own way and maybe God is speaking to us through this swapped order of creation. Maybe God is telling us not to get so prideful about focusing on who comes first and who created who. And maybe God is telling us that we all come from each other. So Adam come, or Eve comes from Adam, Christ comes from Mary. We come from God and we come from each other. So then in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have been created and they are living together in the garden, this, the crafty serpent approaches Eve and starts to question her on God's plan. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the answer to this question is no, God did not say that. He said he, you couldn't eat from this one specific tree, but the serpent is planting that in Eve's head. You can't eat from any tree, right? The serpent knew that it would get into Eve's head, that she, that she would start questioning, that she would start doubting, that she would start to feel resentful that she couldn't eat from that tree, forgetting that she has free reign over pretty much every other aspect of her life. The serpent tricked her into thinking that she was lacking, that God didn't give her quite enough. One thing that has kind of stuck with me about this story recently, maybe because it's been convicting me, is that Eve's sin is not only just disobedience and eating the fruit, but it's also a lack of trust, not trusting in God's plan. God has told Adam and Eve what he wants for them. Don't eat that fruit. But he hasn't told them why necessarily, and I think that's where Eve gets in trouble. To be fair, the same goes for Mary. God has the angel tell her that she will be with child and that child will be the savior her people have been waiting for, but God doesn't tell her why. God doesn't reveal to her why she, Mary, was chosen or why God has chosen for the savior to be born now in that point of time or why he has even chosen for the savior to be born at all. Mary doesn't know why she's going to be with child. Eve doesn't know why she isn't allowed to eat that tree. But Eve lets that unanswered question make her think that maybe God doesn't know everything. Maybe she should look out for herself. Maybe she should take matters into her own hands. Maybe it might be better if I try my own thing. And Mary lets things play out. She trusts in God's plan. Eve doesn't really stop to think about whether or not she trusts that God knows best. And I identify with Eve a lot in that way. If I'm asked to do something, I have a hard time doing it without asking follow-up questions and understanding why I'm expected to do it. If I don't understand why, and if that doesn't make sense to me, then I start to doubt everything about it. And there are so many things about Christianity in the Bible that I don't understand, and I don't see why God had to make it happen that specific way. Um, yeah, and I don't really get why God chose to enact certain plans at certain times over others. And that's one of the things I struggle with the most about our faith, which is why I have a hard time judging Eve for this. So I'm not saying that the moral of the story is to take everything without questioning it or without thinking about it, and I'm definitely not trying to vilify doubt or questions or gray areas. But I am saying that I do think part of Eve's sin here was a lack of trust, which led to her disobedience. And I think Mary's virtue was a sense of trust and security in her God, which led her to obedience. I find solidarity in Eve's doubt and in her impatience. I like knowing that I'm not alone in those temptations, but I find comfort and am inspired by Mary's faith 
in her steadiness, in her ability to let go and trust in the bigger picture. But in Genesis 3, Eve gives in to that temptation. She eats the fruit and hands it to Adam, and together they disobey. After they eat the fruit, their eyes are open, they are ashamed, and they hide from God. But God finds them, God confronts them, and they blame each other, but ultimately confess to their disobedience, and so God punishes them. Adam's punishment is that God curses the ground, making it more difficult for Adam to grow crops and reap its benefits. He will still work the land, he will still tend to it, he will still be sustained by it, but it will be harder. Eve's punishment is similar. She will now experience pain in childbirth. This labor of procreation is still possible for her. God has not chosen another person to take her place as the mother of all living, but it will be harder. There will be pain in it. And I think it's very significant that God chose for Jesus to come into this world through childbirth. So in order to fulfill God's plan for her, Mary had to undergo painful childbirth. The very result of Eve's sin, this punishment humanity was given for disobeying God's word. Of course, Mary's childbirth does not override Eve's punishment. Pain in childbirth is still very much a thing. But I think it's comforting to know that Jesus' birth calls back to Eve's punishment, as if God is saying that something good and holy can come out of this pain, even though it was never supposed to be there in the first place. I like to think of it as God saying that Jesus and Mary are not exempt from the pain in the world, and even God himself is not exempt from the pain in this world. They aren't above our pain. They aren't removed from it. They're right there in it. And God isn't ignoring Eve's pain, nor is God ever ignoring our own. But through Jesus' birth, he is standing right there beside Eve, comforting her and telling her that everything will be made right in its time. I sound like a broken record. Again, I know I already said that, but I love this parallel so much. I love looking at these ways that Eve and Mary are connected. And, but I think it's important to state that even though both of their stories talk about childbirth and labor and they are both referred to as our mothers, Eve being the mother of all living and Mary being the mother of God, um, their vices and virtues, like what they did right and what they did wrong, have nothing to do with their title of mother. And I think Mary's role is particularly misunderstood in that. Many Christian practices praise Mary and put her up on a pedestal. And I think that that's a good, I've, I think Mary is a good person to look up to and be inspired by. But it also matters what we are praising Mary for. So yes, the Immaculate Conception was a miracle. But should we be praising Mary simply because she's a virgin? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's what she did right. And yes, Mary sacrificed a lot to be the mother of Jesus, but are we praising her for her fertility? I, I don't think that's right either. Mary's blessedness is not tied to the fact that she was a mother, but because she said yes to God. Her obedience is what sets her apart from Eve, not the physical act of giving birth to Christ. So in Luke chapter 11, an unnamed woman tells Jesus, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And that can kind of seem like a strange response, or maybe he's putting Mary down or saying, no, my mother isn't important. It's important. My disciples are what matters to me. 
But in responding this way, I believe Jesus is reframing the way this woman views Mary's blessedness. Yes, Mary is blessed, but it's not because she um, became pregnant with Jesus. It's not because she gave birth to Jesus. It's not because she nursed Jesus. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, Jesus said. Mary is blessed because she heard the word of God and she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. If we want to be like Mary, if we want to fashion our lives like hers, then we will follow her example of hearing the word of God and obeying it. In Eve's story, she was given God's instructions and she broke them. In Mary's story, she was told God's plan and she carried it out. Both of these decisions, one condemning, one redeeming, one bringing death and one bringing life, were both made out of free will. God did not force Eve to eat the fruit and he did not force Mary to conceive. Rather, Eve willingly chose to divert from God's plan and Mary willingly chose to fulfill it. Eve's no let sin enter the world and Mary's yes allowed God to physically re-enter it. Mary's obedience opened the door that Eve's disobedience shut. Eve's story teaches us that where there is sin, there is grace. Eve took matters into her own, own hands and ate that forbidden fruit, and although death was promised, God let her live. Through Eve, we see that God loves us. He wraps us in warm clothes, he leads us on new paths, and he protects us even when we mess up. He punished her, but his love and care and protection was still abundant. Although she had to endure the pain of childbirth, God still wanted Eve to be the mother of all living. He did not take that title from her and give it to someone who was more worthy, who didn't mess up. Mary's story shows us how to reach toward God, how to open our lives to him, how to allow his plans to override ours, even when we don't understand them and don't know why they are happening. She shows us that God's plans don't always fit in the social norm and they can take us to dangerous places, but something wonderful can come from obeying without hesitation. So for the rest of my sermon, I'm just going to be reflecting on this picture. And when I look at this painting, this picture, I'm struck by Eve's shame and Mary's compassion. It seems like Eve can't even look Mary in the eye because of what she's done. She still has the snake wrapped around her leg here, pulling her back and reminding her of her mistakes. She's still gripping the fruit, unable to put it down or put it behind her. She knows that her savior is right before her being created and formed in Mary's womb, but she's still holding on to her sin wrapped up in her shame, or at least she thinks that she should be. But Mary, Mary's face, I think is full of compassion for Eve. She, she brings Eve's hand to her stomach. Maybe Eve was too scared to reach out. I don't know, but Mary helped her and is reminding Eve of all that is to come, that her sins will be redeemed, that the Messiah is coming. She sees Eve constrained by the serpent and she steps on its head, silencing it for her sister who cannot. And to end the sermon, I thought I would read something that the painter of this picture wrote reflecting on this. So when asked what she hopes people will learn or receive from her drawing, Sister Grace Remington replied, I hope the picture communicates the way Christ is present in our encounters even when we cannot see him. 
the picture of Mary and Eve. This, the picture is of Mary and Eve, but Jesus is there too. He is, in fact, at the very center. If it was just a picture of an unpregnant Mary with Eve, it might be lovely, but the presence of Jesus in that picture is what gives it, it real meaning. If Jesus wasn't there, I don't think people would be drawn to it. Even before his birth, Christ was already among us with Mary. And I hope the ladies, she refers to even Mary as her ladies, speak of the graciousness and gratuitousness of God's mercy and how God's message of salvation is communicated through compassion and kindness. One of the things I, I was pondering as I drew this picture was the question of why Eve said no to God and Mary said yes. I started to think about how Eve had no idea what it would mean to live in a fallen world and to be separated from God. Whatever purity of soul Mary had, Eve had in her creation too. And yet, whatever innocence Mary had, she was not spared the experience of living in a fallen world. First century Palestine was no Garden of Eden. I wondered whether Mary was able to give her yes precisely because she knew the pain of life. She knew how desperately we needed God. Her eyes were open. This was part of what I see as her compassion for Eve in this picture. She is not standing with folded hands on a pedestal above Eve. She is standing with Eve, touching Eve, seeing her deeply. She knows the gift she is carrying is for Eve as much as it is for herself. She doesn't need Eve to get herself together or to even drop the apple before inviting her in. Thank you.